The Spectator magazine combines incisive political analysis with books and arts reviews of unrivaled authority. Subscribe today for just £12 and receive a 12-week subscription in print and online, plus a £20 Amazon gift voucher, absolutely free. Go to spectator.co.uk forward slash voucher. Hello and welcome to the Americano podcast, a series of discussions about American politics, life and culture. My name is Freddie Gray. I'm the deputy editor of The Spectator. I am delighted to be joined today by Maureen Callahan, who is critic at large at the New York Post and the author of a recent piece called Hillary Clinton versus Donald Trump 2024. Yup, life has become a horror movie. Now, Maureen, there's been quite a lot of chatter about Hillary Clinton re-emerging as a presidential candidate in 2024 this week. How real do you think this is? You know, there was a time when I would have said not very likely at all. However, the election of Donald Trump has shown that politics in America have become completely unpredictable. Anything is possible. Uh, The op-ed that was written in the Wall Street Journal floating Hillary as as possibly the best shot the Dems have in 2024 was co-authored by a longtime Clinton loyalist. So there is a suggestion that perhaps she is floating a trial balloon. I think it sounds to me like she may be, although, I mean, that piece, are you talking about Douglas E. Schoen there as the co-author? I believe so, yes. Yeah, because, I mean, he's a slightly, it reads slightly to me like a sort of, a kind of piece that Republicans would want to seem coming from Democrats. That's interesting. My take on it wasn't quite so cynical and three steps ahead. It was sort of more, to me, indicative of the worrying lack of talent that the Dems have that one could conceivably write a fairly credible argument that the best shot they've got, you know, aside from Michelle Obama, right, who's always sort of the Democrats, you know, great hope that she will somehow emerge. But to say that the, the lone, credible, competent, known star that the Dems have is Hillary is, you know, worryingly quite true. Yes. Well, let's get on to Michelle Obama in a bit. But I mean, I'd like, you know, the reason the story's popped up is because of the sheer state of the Biden White House. I think that's fair to say. It seems like it's falling apart on many fronts. There are multiple crises going on. And Joe Biden seems to be handling them very badly. You've got the midterms coming up in which it looks like the Democrats are going to get a real pasting, a shellacking, to use the Obama word. And it feels like there's a sort of desperation for a plan B. And the plan B was meant to be Kamala Harris. But everybody knows that she is even more unpopular than Biden. And so it seems to be the sort of it's the fruit of a desperation. This story about Hillary Clinton is the fruit of desperation among Democrats. Is that a fair analysis? I agree with just about everything you said. It's been amazing to watch the Biden administration fall apart as quickly as it has to hit the approval lows as quickly as it has. It's even more shocking to an American electorate that, 
you know, there were as many votes, I think, for Biden as against Trump. You know, the, the country was just sort of fatigued, not just from the unpredictability coming out of the Trump White House, but from COVID. And Biden was put forward as, you know, this guy, he's been in political life for 30 years. He was vice president for eight under a very popular president. He can write the course. He can get the country through this trauma, this, you know, economic volcano that is COVID. And he takes office and suddenly it's we've been sold a bill of goods that is clearly not come to fruition. You know, Hillary has always sort of suffered from a lack of charisma, a lack of likability. Her marketing has always been you may not want to have a beer with me, but I'm competent. Competence should be enough, right? And it seems quite likely that that Hillary, who really has been wired her whole life for one goal, right? Much as Joe Biden has spent his whole political life with one goal, you know, get into the Oval Office. For Hillary, you know, become the first female president of the United States. What else would she do, right? But consider 2024. Well, there's, there's a lot of conspiracy theorizing around the Clintons. And I suppose one conspiracy theory might be that in order to brace America for a Hillary Clinton presidency, America had to experience a Joe Biden presidency, right? To realize that for things to be this bad, you actually want Hillary. Well, I think there were plenty of candidates on that stage. Uh, you know, anyone who watched those debates where I think at one point it felt like there were 34 candidates in the debates. You know, there there were far more alarming candidates up there, I think. I don't think there's any credibility to the notion that this is some grand conspiracy, you know, engineered by the Clintons, who quite frankly, even party leaders have said to the American media, we really wish they would just go. Mm. You know, when Hillary was sort of doing her, what was meant to be a post-victory lap and turned into her post-defeat lap and her her, you know, navel gazing as to what went wrong, how she didn't win this election that every major American outlet practically called as decisively hers. You know, she she had unlimited uh, targets where she was placing her blame. Everything from Bernie bros to, you know, again, sexism and likability, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Chuck Schumer publicly said, I didn't think she was that great of a candidate. You know, and when you can't beat someone who is hovering at 40% in popularity, all you have to blame is yourself. So I think that the Democrats are, are quite tired. You know, the party, the party itself is quite tired of, of the Clintons. Yes. But how realistic do you think it is that Biden will not run in 2024? Do you think he has to stand down But by the time we get there? I mean, it's early days, you know, we're only in the beginning of 2022, although time seems to be a flat circle. And this past year has seemed particularly traumatic. I think that if his approval numbers continue to stay in the toilet, if the economy continues to suffer from inflation, joblessness, if we're still feeling the after effects of the COVID trauma, I think he may face pressure to graciously step aside if, if he can't come to the conclusion himself, you know, the way an LBJ could come to the conclusion himself. Mm. You know, I thought it was interesting that Kamala used the word malaise 
in her most recent speech last week. You know, as we know, when Jimmy Carter gave his so-called malaise speech, he never really used that word, but it became tagged as such that is considered by many historians to have been the effective end of his presidency. Yes. And do you, like a lot of people, think that Kamala is not an effective replacement for Biden? If if the Democrats somehow find a way to junk him before 2024, do you think Kamala could be the replacement or do you think she's now so toxic politically that they have to find someone else? I think they have to find somebody else. I think she's toxic. I think she has proven herself not up to the job. And, and, and really, when you look at this through the filter of a mainstream American media that was really cheering her on, that wanted her to succeed, that was elated that we had the first female vice president, you know, when the American media begins to turn on you, when they've been rooting for you, you're done. And there have been far too many leaks coming out of her office of discontented employees who are sort of just fleeing what they call a crime scene of bullying and meanness and incompetence. And, you know, again, I think that the American electorate is just fatigued by all of this, by what seems, you know, again, we were promised competence and it's the last thing coming out of this White House. And there's an interesting dynamic, isn't there, between sort of Team Biden and Team Kamala. Kamala, sorry, I always pronounce that wrong. But sort of publicly, there's a lot of sort of affection for each other still. But the number of public appearances that they've done together has diminished. And it seems as though there are tensions between the two camps. Do you think they're at each other's throats behind the scenes? It doesn't seem to be a particularly congenial relationship, let alone one that is even professionally tolerable. You know, when you have her office leaking that, you know, Biden is setting her up to fail. And then when you have, you know, the Biden side expressing their dissatisfaction with her ability to even get through an interview, you know, and answer a question cogently. And in the immediate aftermath of a lot of these leaks, there were a couple of very public photo ops set up that were meant to show, you know, the Joe and Kamala show as, you know, everything's hunky-dory and, you know, the body language was so strained. So I think that she's she's equally toxic and I think that this is probably as high as she's going to go in politics. Well, let's say that Hillary is, is a bridge too far and that the Democrats have to come up with another candidate. Pete Buttigieg has talked about a lot. Amy Klobuchar's name is often mentioned. And then there's, of course, Michelle Obama is sort of the fantasy candidate, I think, the sort of the dream candidate for a lot of Democrats. Can you see any of those three being a nominee in 2024? The Mayor Pete thing continues to astound me. And again, it's I think it's one of those examples of the stark divide between what the mainstream media thinks the American people want and need and what the American people want and need, you know, with zero experience, you know, as a political payback for his support during the campaign, Biden made him transportation secretary. If there's a single accomplishment that he's got under his cap during his his tenure, we have yet to see it. Amy Klobuchar, I don't know that she's got it. I just don't know that she's a star. I think with Michelle Obama, you know, she is the fantasy choice. Right. And she's the she's the one that the party seems to feel would 
bridge the divide and she has the star power and all of that. But I think, you know, you never really know until somebody begins running. And I think the Obamas really are enjoying their post White House life. You know, they're making a lot of money. They seem to enjoy celebrity in a way that I don't think any any post president has. It's been kind of shocking. What really struck me was the 60th birthday party that Obama threw for himself on Martha's Vineyard last summer, you know, and the workers on on that island were appalled by the number of people he was flying in, you know, at the height of COVID. And uh, there seems to be sort of um, an entitlement, a tone deafness, you know, again, they seem enthralled to celebrity, to their Netflix deals. You know, there would be a lot to give up for Michelle Obama to, to, to seriously entertain a run. Well, another name that you mentioned, perhaps jokingly in your piece, is AOC, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez, who will just be old enough to be president by 2024. And I've written pieces suggesting that she's a more serious politician than people realise, because in this crazy age, which you've described already, that we live in, she is a political star and she is capable of of gaining huge online traction very quickly. She is somebody that Donald Trump seemed to be sort of aware of and sort of alert to in terms of the threat she posed. Do you think she could be a credible candidate? I don't think for 2024. She's, aside from how far left she is, you know, again, it's hard to predict. It's three years out. But we are going through such a tectonic shift on every level due to this pandemic. And when we finally do emerge from it, it's going to be such a different landscape, economically, politically. I think we are all going to be suffering from some form of PTSD. And the reason I think this Hillary story gained so much traction is it just sort of falls right into that comfortable shoe trap right? You know this politician, you know her failings, you know what she's good at. She's reliable. She has been a constant figure in American life for decades. And I think that the party is going to probably look to nominate somebody who is a little more seasoned, a little less flashy, still charismatic, has the bona fides. I think that the great mystery is who will that person be? because I don't think they've made themselves known on the scene yet. Have you seen um, Hillary, it's called Impeachment, American Crime Story, I think it's called. It's I called did it. watch that, yes. Wasn't that quite a fascinating, I mean, watching it, it seemed to me a sort of attempt to put the scandal of, of Bill Clinton, Monica Lewinsky, firmly behind and also sort of glorify Hillary. Am I being conspiratorial there? I don't think you're being conspiratorial. I think it humanized Hillary, if anything. I thought that the way Clive Owen portrayed Bill Clinton was very interesting. And I don't know that you would have seen an actor portray him in that way 10 years ago before Me Too. To my eyes, Clive Owen was depicting Clinton as a sociopath and a sexual predator. Mm. And even some of the the way that some of those scenes were shot and blocked, you know, the camera angles, you know, Monica felt very much like the prey and the series was written with her participation. So it was the first time we saw this story really through her eyes. Mm. I think if anything, what Hillary might 
let's say this is a trial balloon, right? What Hillary might be misreading is the room temperature, is the post Me Too room temperature. You know, the story that broke yesterday with Prince Andrew being stripped of everything and left to defend his trial on sex assault charges as a private citizen. And Ghislaine Maxwell saying that she is not going to protect, I think it's the eight unnamed John Doe's. We know that Bill Clinton has links to Epstein. There's a story today, I think, that Epstein brought eight young women at one point to a meeting with Clinton. I think if anything, I, I don't think that story is going away. And I think that Bill Clinton has always been Hillary's big liability. I mean, I when she began her run for Senate in New York, I always thought the greatest political move she could make would be to divorce Bill. Mm. And that she hasn't is obviously for reasons known only to her, but I, I do think that what she thought was possibly her her greatest political asset has turned into into her greatest political Achilles heel. Yes. It's interesting that because, of course, there's the famous quote, you know, I'm not standing here, standing by my man like Tammy Wynette. It was sort of Hillary's attempt to kind of bridge uh, feminism and sticking by an obviously adulterous husband. But now... What's Bill's value to Hillary Clinton if she does want to run again? I, again, I, I think he's not added value. I think, if anything, he's a, he's a black mark. And, you know, it's interesting you brought that interview up because one of the things that the impeachment docuseries or miniseries whitewashed and really was upsetting to me was, you know, Hillary's active involvement in shaming these women who came forward and said, you know, that Bill Clinton had either assaulted them in the case of Juanita Broderick, her credible accusation that Bill Clinton had raped her. At the height of the impeachment scandal, you know, when Monica was sort of the face of it, behind the scenes, the White House devised what they called the quote unquote nuts and sluts defense. Yeah. And Hillary was an active participant in that. And again, I don't know how in this day and age you can call yourself a feminist and not believe the women. But I suppose my last question actually does tap into what a lot of people say about the hatred of Hillary Clinton, which is that people, and I just am guilty of it just now, do see her as a monster. I just said, you know, what's the value of of Bill to her? I mean, it's possible that she loves him. Occam's razor, right? I mean, if she were just a full-bore political animal, hell-bent on the Oval Office at any cost, yeah, the calculus is probably to ditch him, you know? And that she hasn't, she, she must really love him. I mean, the parallel example, too, is the political liability that her longtime aide, Uma Abedin, became. When yeah. her husband, Anthony Weiner, not only became involved in these sex scandals, but, you know, Hillary's emails found on his laptop and and the explosion of that, you know, right before the election and what that cost her. And Hillary, despite the urging of many of her closest, most trusted aides, refused to cast Uma out. You know, such was the loyalty she felt to Uma, the sympathy she felt to Uma, probably the empathy she felt, you know, feeling as though this what was happening to this woman was not her fault. It was not of her own design. And 
I think that again, you may be right. I think that she she must really love Bill, and I think that that will have been one of the things that will have have cost her politically. Well, let's say your theory is right, and and we have a kind of Trump Clinton twenty twenty four presidential race. And as you describe it, it would be a, a sort of horror movie. And I think a lot of people outside of America who love America worry that America is in a, in a self-destructive cycle. And I wonder whether at some level, complicated mass psychological level perhaps, America is addicted to doing the worst possible thing. And it's sort of driving itself towards these horrible scenarios that are very media friendly. You know, there'll be great headlines if Hillary and Trump run again. But it'll also be awful and bad for the country. You know, it's interesting you say that because I've been looking at what's been happening with Boris Johnson this week. Yes, we've got our own horror show. You've got your own horror show. And, you know, there's similar tumult and upheaval in a lot of political systems in the world right now. It's not just America. I sort of think of it as as part of a, a larger part of this contagion that we're suffering through right now. I think... You know, the reason I wrote, you know, if, if in 2024 it is Trump versus Clinton, we are in the horror movie. That's it. We're never killing a monster again. <laughs> you know, I, th- I think it's because it is actually the last thing America really wants. It's the last thing America wants. So I have hope that there will be two different candidates running in 2024, and hopefully one of them will not be Kanye West. <laughs> Well, Maureen, I think we'll end it there, but please come on again, regardless of whether America succumbs to another Trump-Clinton presidential election. Thank you, Freddie. It was so great to be with you. Thank you very much for listening to that episode of Americano. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe. And if you really enjoyed it, please leave us a star rating, preferably five stars, and a review. (laughs) 